Welcome to The Refresh from Insider, presented by WebEx by Cisco. I'm Dave Smith. And I'm Rebecca Ibarra. It's Tuesday, July 12th, and we're the podcast that updates whenever there's news all day, every weekday. Here's the latest. The seventh House January 6th committee hearing took place this afternoon. Committee Vice Chair Liz Cheney kicked things off by saying the earlier hearings have provoked a new defense from Donald Trump's team. They're no longer ignoring the proceedings, she said, but rather claiming that Trump was misled by the people around him into believing the election was stolen from him. But Cheney wasn't having it. The strategy is to blame people his advisors called, quote, the crazies for what Donald Trump did. This, of course, is nonsense. President Trump is a 76-year-old man. He is not an impressionable child. Just like everyone else in our country, he is responsible for his own actions and his own choices. The committee revealed new evidence about the steps Trump and his advisors considered taking after it was clear Biden had won the 2020 election. They showed a draft executive order that would have authorized the Defense Department to seize voting machines. Here's Pat Cipollone, Trump's White House counsel. That's not how we do things in the United States. There's no legal authority to do that. And there is a way to contest elections, you know, that... It happens all the time. The push to seize voting machines was, of course, connected to the conspiracy theory that some of them had been hacked to favor Joe Biden. On December 19th, 2020, Trump sent out one of the most consequential tweets of his presidency. He invited supporters to come to Washington on the day of the electoral vote count in Congress. Big protest in D.C. on January 6th, he tweeted. Be there will be wild. The committee showed how that tweet unleashed a torrent of extreme reaction online. Maryland Democrat Jamie Raskin read a sample. Some of the online rhetoric turned openly homicidal and white nationalist, such as, why don't we just kill them, every last Democrat, down to the last man, woman, and child? And it's time for the day of the rope. White revolution is the only solution. Others realized that police would be standing in the way of their effort to overturn the election. So one wrote, I'm ready to die for my beliefs. Are you ready to die, police? Florida Democrat Stephanie Murphy showed private messages from several extremists attending the rally, showing they had advanced knowledge of Trump's call to go to the Capitol. Murphy said the committee also obtained a draft tweet from sometime before January 6th that showed Trump had been planning to call on his supporters to march. The evidence confirms that this was not a spontaneous call to action, but rather was a deliberate strategy decided upon in advance by the president. The committee heard from Stephen Ayers, a Trump supporter who, at the time, believed the former president's lies about a stolen election. He said he went to D.C. on January 6th for Trump's rally near the White House, but decided to march on the Capitol when Trump urged him to do so in his speech. He even entered the building. He was asked why he eventually left the Capitol that day, and Ayers said it was because he saw Trump's tweet asking him to, hours after the attack began. To me... If he would have done that earlier in the day, 1.30, I, I, you know, you know, we wouldn't be in this, maybe we wouldn't be in this bad of a situation or something. Ayers has since been charged in the attack. He even lost his job. And he said he no longer believes Trump's election claims. 
We'll end with this. Vice Chair Liz Cheney, who warned last week about efforts by Trump supporters to influence witnesses, had yet another revelation. After our last hearing, President Trump tried to call a witness in our investigation, a witness you have not yet seen in these hearings. That person declined to answer or respond to President Trump's call and instead alerted their lawyer to the call. Their lawyer alerted us. And this committee has supplied that information to the Department of Justice. Today and every day, we're updating the refresh from Insider as news happens. So check back whenever you want to know the latest. Coming up, we dive into the rising popularity of Formula One. The changing world of hybrid work offers new possibilities. WebEx enables them with an open platform and many integrated partners like Notion, Unifor, and SalesLoft. Powerful partnerships power hybrid work. Visit apphub.webex.com. WebEx, working for everyone. Not only is it ridiculously hot in Texas, but wind speeds are at very low levels. That's because the weather systems that cause extreme heat also slow the wind near the Earth's surface, which is bad news for the state that generates the most wind power in the country. And Bloomberg reports that Texas wind turbines are generating merely 8% of what they're capable of right now. The Biden administration is fighting back against states that prohibit abortions even when the mother's life is at risk. The Department of Health and Human Services has released guidance saying that federal law requires hospitals to provide stabilizing care to all patients. HHS Secretary Javier Becerra noted, quote, federal law preempts state abortion bans when needed for emergency care. If you've been wanting a beagle, well, now might be the perfect time to adopt one. Federal authorities rescued about 4,000 beagles from the Envico breeding facility in Virginia. Inspectors found that the facility had been violating dozens of federal regulations for years, putting many of the pups in acute distress. We won't go into all the horrific details, but it was very, very bad. Authorities now have 60 days to remove the dogs and are working with the Humane Society to find them all homes. Johnny Depp has apparently had enough of courtrooms. He settled an assault case with a film location manager who accused the actor of punching him in the ribs. According to court filings, the alleged incident happened on the set of The Labyrinth in 2017. Not to be confused with Labyrinth, the amazing David Bowie movie, or Pan's Labyrinth, the amazing Guillermo del Toro movie. The manager said Depp verbally abused him, reeked of alcohol, and bodyguards had to physically restrain the actor. Depp denied the allegation. The suit was settled for an undisclosed amount. In what's sure to be a first, the city of Albuquerque will unveil statues honoring two famous, if fictional, meth dealers, Breaking Bad's Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. The statues were commissioned by the series creator Vince Gilligan, who says he wants to give back to the city where the show was set and filmed. Thousands of tourists come to Albuquerque every year to visit famous sites from the show. And honestly, who won't want to take a picture with the bronze likeness of Heisenberg and Captain Cook? Formula One racing has been getting really popular in the U.S. And one indicator 
F1 recently renewed its three-year media deal with ESPN for an estimated $75 to $90 million per year. The previous deal was for $5 million per year. Insider's Alanis King has a book about F1 coming out soon, and she's here to tell us what's been driving this surge in popularity. Hey, Alanis. So first, for anyone who isn't familiar with it, what is Formula One? So Formula One is a global racing series, and many people, if you're in America, you know about NASCAR most likely, perhaps IndyCar. Those are very American-centric racing series. What Formula One does is it goes to countries around the world and racing circuits around the world, sometimes street races that are built on literally the streets of a city, and it races in all these different countries, including America. And the difference between Formula One and something like NASCAR is that NASCAR looks more like the cars you drive on the road, whereas Formula One, they look a little bit like a weird spaceship. They're open-wheel cars, so the wheels stick out on the side of the cars. They've got really pointy noses and huge wings on the back. And Formula One is basically a giant test of not only driver, but car. So that's why you'll see a lot of teams have these empires, right? So they'll lead for a long time because they have a really good car and also really good drivers. It's a test of both. And the biggest test of how good you are at driving that car is how you drive it against your teammate. So Not only are there rivals between teams, but there are rivals within teams because at the end of the day, the biggest competitor is your teammate. So this sport has seen a steep rise in its U.S. viewership, which has increased about 40% since last year. I I must confess, I didn't really follow the sport until I watched Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix. So what do you think is behind that? Yeah, so a lot of people got into Formula One through Drive to Survive. Uh, And I think that was the main thing behind it was getting it in front of this audience and it took off. But that would have never happened, I don't think, unless Formula One had gotten new ownership. And Formula One got new ownership in 2016. A company called Liberty Media took over the sport. They took over the sport from Bernie Ecclestone, who led it for many, many decades. And Bernie Ecclestone was behind many surges in Formula One's popularity, really lucrative TV deals, stuff like that. But once we got into kind of the 2010s, Bernie was a little behind. He wouldn't let people use social media. He didn't want modern era media coverage. He wanted it to stay the same. When we got Bernie Ecclestone out of the way and brought Liberty Media in, we started seeing more leniency around coverage in the paddock, social media posts, videos from testing. And then this culminated in Drive to Survive, the Netflix series, which is a docuseries that follows Formula One pretty well. And it took off like wildfire. Everybody loved it. People love the drivers. And now they're watching it. And it's fantastic. There's this perception that F1 is a little more bougie than NASCAR. What's behind that? I think people find comfort in their assumptions of things. Mm. So for a long time, especially for Americans, there has been a certain view of NASCAR, what NASCAR is. And NASCAR has contributed to that itself quite a bit. They only banned the Confederate flag from racetracks a couple of years ago. Yeah. So there's this perception of what NASCAR is that's not totally right, but kind of right sometimes. And then there's Formula One, which is, for Americans, a very foreign thing. So they see it as maybe 
more glamorous than it is and gloss it over more than other people would. But I mean, Formula One is extremely glamorous. Like, Formula One is very, very fancy. But it all boils down to, in racing, who has the money to compete and who's fast enough. And I think a lot of people look past the fact that at the end of the day, when you look at the Formula One field and you look at the NASCAR field, the lack of diversity is very present in both of them. There has only Mm -hmm. been one black driver in the history of Formula One, and that's Lewis Hamilton, and he's won seven championships. The rest of them, more or less rich white guys generally yeah that's what happens rich white people sport you know when you're wrecking cars for a living and you have to (laughs) wreck cars to learn how to drive them that's what happens you know if you need money to enter a sport there will ultimately be less diversity in that sport at least in modern times alanis thank you so much for chatting with us on the refresh absolutely thank you so much for having me Alanis King's book on Formula One, Racing with Rich Energy, is coming out this fall. Make sure to follow The Refresh from Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave a rating and review. It helps other people discover the show. You can also just tell your smart speaker to play The Refresh from Insider podcast. I'm Dave Smith. And I'm Rebecca Ibarra. Talk to you soon. Bye.